Good morning. Welcome to Church in the Valley Online. My name is Matt. I'm the associate pastor here, and I'm beginning a new series called Triggered. In this series, we're going to be focusing in on our emotions, understanding this dimension of our soul, and how to rule our emotions well in a way that honors God and leads to blessing in our lives and the lives of other people around us. Now, why is this focus on emotion important? Because emotions, if we give in to them, rather than rule them, can create all sorts of chaos and ruin. For example, on the screen you're going to see a mural, and this is a very famous mural of an ancient battle between Alexander the Great and the king of Persia, the king of kings, Darius. The Persians had ruled the known world for 300 years, and in this battle, you'll see if we zoom in on the second image, which is King Darius, there is terror fear in his eyes. In this battle, the first of three, he ran. In the last battle, Galgamela, he had 200,000 soldiers compared to only 37,000 Greek soldiers, and yet he ran. Fear of losing his life cost him his empire. And that's the story with fear. Fear can cost you your future. It can cost you all sorts of things. Emotions ran hot in 2020. Anger, malice, contempt, and it led to the destruction of cities all over our country. You can see this photo here of people rioting and burning buildings, leading to untold damage and destruction. My father was a police officer. He was a homicide detective. And he told me that most crimes in murder are crimes of passion. People don't usually plan a murder, although it does happen. <clears throat> most murders that occur are because in the heat of the moment, in anger, in rage, someone kills someone else. That was how it mostly happened. And how many people are behind bars today because of unchecked anger and rage? You see the increase in depression, suicide, and all sorts of emotional uh, tolls and catastrophes in our society, particularly amongst the youth. Here's an image of a recent study that shows a sharp increase in depression, and suicide, and related problems amongst the youth in the United States. And emotions, the strong desire, the strong feelings for pleasure, those emotions can lead us to addiction. When we think of addiction, we think of pictures like this, of drugs and alcohol. But we can also, being ruled by our emotion, become addicted to food, become addicted to technology, become addicted to all sorts of things that leads to ruin and destruction in our lives. This is not what God wants for us. God wants us to rule over our emotions by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can be blessed and honor him. Now, in our society today, this is very difficult because in our society, the people who are teachers of our age, the prophets and kings and influencers, they are preaching a gospel of follow your heart, do what you want, you do you, uh, just do what feels right. And emotions have taken a prominent place in our culture. Whatever you think and feel, whatever you want, well, that's what you should do. In fact, emotions and feelings have become the arbiter of what is true and not true. That's just how I feel is often the refrain people use when they're in an argument and they're losing. We say sometimes that facts don't care about your feelings, but for America today, it's probably better to reverse that and say feelings don't care about your facts. So many decisions today are made not based on good sound judgment and reason, but they're based on feeling, impulse, leading to all sorts of trouble and destruction. For example, 
We tend to think of sin as Christians in our lives as something that we choose to do, you know, deliberately. But actually, most people don't think their way into sins, weighing it out, pros and cons. Most people feel their way into sin. And pretty soon, they find themselves in a dark place, a place of great pain and torment and all sorts of trouble for the people around them. We have to rule over our emotions as Christians. We have to learn to do this as a part of our sanctification, the cleansing and transformation process that Jesus Christ is doing in our lives through the power of his spirit, with his word, amongst his people in the church. And you can rule your emotions. All of us deal with destructive emotional habits, patterns, and by the power of God's grace, you can learn to master them. And that will be good for you. That will be good for your marriages and your families. That will be good for your careers and for your future. It's good for your health. So how do we do that? How do we get control of our emotions? How do we make sure that our emotions are restored by the grace of God to their proper place and function in our lives? Well, as a couple basic preliminary um, concepts from the scriptures, I'd like us to look at two short passages. Here are some basic things to know about how emotions work. If you read 2 Corinthians 10, 5, you'll see Paul talking about something going on internally with us. He says, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every thought. This is warfare language. This is a fight. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And when we do this, as we take these thoughts captive, we also need to take captive our emotions. You control your emotions by controlling your thoughts. You can't control your emotions through direct effort. So, for example, if I told you right now, I'll give you 100 bucks if you think about an elephant. All of you could bring up into your mind an elephant. That's how thoughts work. You can call before your mind any thought you want. But if I told you right now, I want you to feel absolute terror. Ready? Go. You couldn't just gin up those emotions. That's not how they work. It would take time. Emotions don't have that kind of lever inside of a person. We, we actually don't have that kind of direct control. Emotions are controlled indirectly through our thoughts. So if I thought about something scary long enough, I'd begin to feel those emotions. And if I wanted to turn those emotions down, if I wanted to take those emotions captive, I would need to change my thoughts. This is a fundamental principle in the scriptures. Secondly, you see this principle used by God's people throughout the Bible, but particularly the Psalms. The Psalms are songs written by the Holy Spirit through the authors, men like David and Solomon and others. And in the Psalms, you find the full range of human emotions that we all experience. But these emotions are handled in faith. And so as you read and sing the Psalms, you are learning how to process every emotion that is common to man. And here in Psalm 42.6, the author says something interesting. He says, my soul is cast down within me. I'm sad, I'm depressed, I'm discouraged. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mizar. I remember you. The way the psalmist deals with his emotional discouragement is by remembering, choosing to think about something from the past. Now, in this case, when he says Jordan, Hermon, Mazar, it doesn't mean anything to us because we're not Jews and we may not know the Bible all that well. But this was a very common story that the people of Israel remembered. When God took them out of Egypt, when Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt, out of captivity, he led them to the promised land. He told them that they were going to go in and conquer the wicked nations that lived in that land, that God was bringing judgment 
on those nations for all of their sin, and Israel was the instrument of that righteous judgment. But to get them ready, he led them on the eastern side of the Jordan. They had not yet crossed the Jordan into the land to fight, you know, the heavyweights. But instead, they fought two kings on the eastern side of the Jordan, Og and Bashan. They were the king of the Amorites, and they were giants, literally. Descended from giants, they themselves were giants, they were wicked kings. And here you have these people that have been in slavery for 400 years. They weren't warriors, and yet they were going to fight these giant kings? Yes, and they defeated them. Both kings were killed, those lands were liberated, and that land became part of the inheritance to the people of Israel. And so when a Jew of that time, an Israelite, was thinking back, when has God delivered us from some really big enemies? He remembers when he delivered them from Og and Bashan and defeated them at the Jordan, Hermon, and Mount Mazar. And so he, this psalmist, is dealing with something similar. And so by remembering the faithfulness of God, the power of God, he's able to control and bring back himself from this emotional ditch that he's falling into. This is very important and very instructive. We can control our emotions by controlling our thoughts. And so this is a principle you want to hold on to. To control your emotions, control your thoughts. This is actually profound. And when I first learned this and really experienced it, I was dealing with some serious bitterness and anger and really contempt for another colleague of mine who's a teacher at the high school that I had worked at. And he had really done wrong to me and offended me and hurt my reputation. And yet for a couple years, he was just getting away with it. There was no, there was no restitution. There was no punishment. He, did, he just got to, to, to make my life difficult. And yet everybody loved him. And everybody thought he was the best guy ever. And it just aided me. And I felt this bitterness grow in me. And every time I saw him, I could feel it inside. And God, he spoke to me about it. So this is wrong. This is sin. This is not right. And then he taught me how to get control. And the way I did that was by remembering the forgiveness and mercy that God showed to me. And then choosing to think about good things about this person and actually speak good things about this person. When students would bring up this teacher's name, I would actually say to them, oh, yeah, I've heard he's really good at this. Not flattery, but truly what he was good at as a teacher. And then I began to pray for him whenever I would feel the bitterness. I'd ask God to forgive me for my bitterness, to forgive him, ask God to save him. And after a couple years, he moved on to a different school, but I saw him. I was driving by the shopping center, and I saw him sitting outside a coffee shop with a bunch of friends. And when I saw him, I didn't have that bitterness anymore. God had cleansed me of it. It took time, but I was able to overcome those emotions. And there was no longer a stronghold that the enemy could use to cause me to hate and feel bitter towards other people. This is a crucial, crucial principle. You have to control your emotions, but you control them through your thoughts. So in this series of, of messages, Trigger, what we want to do is we want to help you through the scriptures to see how you can conquer your own soul for Christ. Just like the children of Israel went into the promised land and had to conquer each of the regions, so too when you become a Christian and you're born again, the Holy Spirit wants to have control over every part of your soul. He wants to have rule over your heart. He wants to rule your thoughts. He wants to rule your emotions. He wants to rule your body. He wants to rule all your social relationships. He wants to be the Lord of it all. And becoming a Christian is about growing and conquering more and more and more of your soul in the power of the Holy Spirit, according to the word of God, to glorify God and to bless you. So the emotions have to be ruled. And so in order to do that, you have to understand how you tick emotionally. And so what I'd like to do now is briefly lay out for you something like a flow, which is when you are triggered emotionally 
and how that can lead to negative consequences and then how you can respond instead. So emotions, they erupt and are triggered by a predictable sequence. And what I want to show you now is a kind of a sequence that occurs. I'll go through it briefly and then, then explain each one. Initially, there's a precondition, just a state that you're in. And then you're triggered by something. That creates an emotional state where your emotions take control. And then out of that emotional state, you choose to express your emotions in action. There's an action that you take. And those actions have results, sometimes good, sometimes bad. And those results can have consequences that last a long time. This is a predictable sequence that you can find in any human being on the earth. And what we want to do is we want to learn how to go from being triggered to triumphing over our emotions. And so when it comes to a precondition, what that really is talking about is just a situation you find yourself in. You could be tired. You could be hungry. You could be hanging out with your friends, driving in a car. It could be just whatever situation you find yourself in. That's the, the precondition. And then you're triggered. There's something that happens. So if there's an injustice, that triggers anger. If there's threat, that triggers fear. If there's loss, that triggers sadness. If there's good, that triggers enjoyment. And then what ends up happening is those emotions begin to stir in you and then you shift into this emotional state where the emotions are in the driver's seat. It's like the emotional part of you, your emotions have slipped into the cockpit and now they're in charge of the plane of your life. And your emotions are now ruling you. Your thoughts, your will, your body is starting to express these emotions. Everything is revolving around those emotions. The emotions are running the show. This is the emotional state that you're in. And then that leads to an action where you express your emotion. And like I said, results, oftentimes bad, sometimes consequences long lasting. So to help you understand how this works, we were going to look at two case studies from the scriptures, two examples of people who were triggered, the tale of two triggers, so to speak. The first one is Esau, and the second one is King Saul. So Esau, if you're not familiar with Esau, God called out a man from a place in the Middle East called Ur of the Chaldees, basically modern-day Iraq. His name was Abraham, or Abram. And God said, I'm going to show you a place that I want you to live. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless everyone through the world through you. I want you to trust me and go to this land I show you. So Abraham did, and then he had a son named Isaac. And Isaac had a son named Esau and a son named Jacob. And these two were always at odds with one another. Well, Esau was born first, and so he was supposed to inherit, uh, as the firstborn, the blessing and all the good things that firstborns got. For example, they got a double portion of the inheritance. They got the rule of the household resources. They carried the name. Whatever good their father had accrued, they would receive. And that included the blessing that God had promised to Abraham. And so this is a big deal to be Abraham's firstborn son. But Esau was a warrior, and Jacob was kind of a sneaky, crafty guy that liked to read books and stay home in the tent. Well, Esau was out hunting one day, and maybe several days, and he was tired, he was exhausted, he'd been hunting for a long time, and here's what says happened. It says, once when Jacob was cooking stew, so Jacob's in the kitchen cooking, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of the red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore his name is called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Jacob sees his opportunity. He's exhausted, he's hungry, and I'm going to get the birthright that I want from my brother by twisting and using his emotions for my own benefit. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is my birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, 
And he ate and drank and rose and went his way. And then it says, thus Esau despised his birthright. So what was the precondition? The precondition was Esau was hunting. It was probably hot. It had been a long several days. He probably hadn't eaten much. He was hungry. And then he came in and he had a trigger. He smelled the stew. He was exhausted. And out of that exhaustion and the smelling of the stew, his hunger, really strong hunger, came over him. And then, in that emotional state, his emotions took over. They were now in the cockpit. And he would say anything and do anything to get and satisfy that hunger. And so he even says, what good is it for me to have a birthright if I'm about to die? See how reasonable it is? See how logical it is? Even his mind, his his rational uh, functioning was now subservient to his emotions. That's not a rational thing to do. With all the money you're going to inherit as the firstborn, you could have 10,000 bulls of stew. But in this moment, his emotions grabbed a hold of his mind, and he's justifying his action that he's about to take. And what action did he take? The action that he took was he, he swore. He made an oath. He said, I will give you my birthright. And that's binding. And the consequences? He lost the birthright. He was ashamed. He broke his father's heart. And the rest is history. Have you ever played the Esau? Have you ever paid that price? <laughs> Have you ever made a bad decision like that? Have you ever been Esawed? It's like being punked in the Old Testament. You have a passion, a desire, something really, desi- really strong you want. It's easy to give in to that. I struggle with this. Strong desire, ruling my emotions. That's what I'm primarily fighting against. So how can I possibly hope to overcome this situation? The Spirit of Jesus Christ in me is how I can hope to overcome. God, when he saves you, when you give your life to Jesus Christ and become his disciple, his Spirit indwells you, fills you with his power. And that Spirit is a powerful Spirit. And the Scripture says in 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, For God gave us a Spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. The Holy Spirit can give you the power, the desire, the emotions, the thoughts, what you need to overcome these strong emotional patterns and triggers. And so you see this in Jesus. Jesus had the exact same temptation. He was in the wilderness for 40 days, 40 nights, and he was hungry. The devil came to him to tempt him. And he said, you're the son of God, right? You're God in a body. You have all power and authority. Turn these rocks into bread. Why not? But Jesus responded with the scriptures. He said, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus was able to overcome that strong emotion, whereas Esau failed. And the same spirit that lives in Christ lives in you if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. And he will give you the power to retrain and reshape and transform your emotional life. He will help you have triumph and victory. Then there's King Saul, the king of Israel, the first king. And here's Saul trying to protect his nation, Israel, from all these surrounding armies. He's got a hard job. There's a lot of powerful kingdoms around Israel causing trouble. And Saul is going to war and he's winning battles. But there's a battle before Saul and his army is starting to freak out. You see, because if you're an Israelite, before you go into war, you first have to honor God, get God's permission, get God's blessing. And that was done by the priests who would come and offer sacrifices. You confess your sin. You make sure this is in line with the will of God. If God is your God, you honor him in everything. That includes in battle because the most important factor in a battle is the Lord. And you want to make sure that you're going into a war under the blessing and protection of God. 
But in order to do that, Samuel the prophet had to come and he had to perform the ritual sacrifices. He had to intercede on behalf of the people of Israel with God. But he was delayed. He hadn't showed up. It had been several days. And now Saul is starting to see his men abandon him, murmur. His generals are probably telling him, Saul, we got to get into the battle because if we don't, we're going to lose. And Saul is starting to panic because what he's seeing. And here's what happens. Saul offers sacrifices himself. He does what is unlawful for a king to do. He does the duties of the prophet, the priest, which he was not permitted to do. And right after that, Samuel showed up. And Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have transgressed the command of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and I obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you. For you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned away to go, Saul seized the skirt of his robe, and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day, and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. What was the precondition? Saul was about to fight a war. Tensions were high. The armies were on two sides of a hill. At any moment, battle could break out. That was the precondition. What was the trigger? The people, the soldiers, they started to murmur. He feared them. That that condition caused him to fear. And out of his fear, he gave into his emotions and he took an action. That action was, I'll just do it myself. I'll violate God's law. I will offer the sacrifices. I'll go through the motions. And that way we can go into battle. And what he did was, is a grievous, grievous sin. And the consequences of those actions, the results and the consequences were, he lost his kingdom and was given to King David. He was afraid of men. He feared men more than he feared God. And because he gave into sinful emotions, it cost him everything. Eventually his life and the life of his son, Jonathan, who was a righteous man. All that trouble came upon him because of his fear of man. And that's what we've seen happen over the last three years in our country. Since 2020, we have seen fear of men rule and reign over the United States. Think of all the millions of people who identify themselves as Christians. How many CEOs, how many executives, directors, police chiefs, mayors, governors, legislators, how many people in the CDC, in Wall Street, in Hollywood, in Silicon Valley? And yet, all through the last three years, we have seen all sorts of tyranny, all sorts of lawlessness, all sorts of corruption. But that corruption and that tyranny has come from above, and it's been ordered down below. Commands to fire employees who refuse to get a jab. Jab or the job. People in the military that are kicked out after long service. Police officers ordered to do things that are not right, lawful, or constitutional. You have censorship. You have schools being shut down. You have people's businesses and livelihoods being shut down. You see companies like Twitter and Facebook using their power to spy and censor for the American government. You see corruption everywhere. And why? Because of cowardice. Because of fear of men. Because when your boss tells you as a Christian, if you don't do this to these people, you're going to be fired. Christians are unwilling to say, well, I'm not going to do this. You're going to have to fire me. I'm not willing to do what is wrong before God out of fear of you. Christians are supposed to follow Christ. And that means we know that our God is the God of resurrection. That if we lay down our lives and lay down our jobs, God can raise it back up again. Christ went into the grave and he came back out victorious. And when Christians fear God more than they fear men... That stops the wickedness. We're supposed to be salt and light, holding back the darkness in our society because we refuse to participate in it. 
But like Saul, we fear men more than we fear God. Our emotions and our fear over the last couple years has brought all sorts of trouble into our society. Economic ruin, political, racial, social division, corruption, tyranny, and all sorts of dis- disqualification and um, also discreditation, discrediting all the major institutions of our society. Our society is falling apart, and it's at war with one another because good men, in many cases Christian men, stood by and went along. They were cowardly, and they went along with the corrupt. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus didn't fear men. Even though it cost him his life, he didn't fear men. In fact, he stood before the governor for Rome in the area where he lived, Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate told him, you better answer me, you better do what I say, because if you don't, I will kill you. That's a great opportunity to fear men. If Jesus would just say a few words, he could have gotten out of his crucifixion, out of his brutal death. But here's what Jesus said. If you read in the Gospel of John, chapter 19, Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Speak to me. Do what I'm telling you to do. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? Don't you fear me? I hold your life in my hand. And the Lord Jesus said, you would have no authority over me unless, at all unless it had been given to you from above. You have no authority over me at all unless it was given to you from above. Jesus did not fear men. He was willing to do what was right even though it cost him his life. And what he did was he showed us that he holds the keys to death. Because three days later, he rose from the grave. And then he ascended into heaven where he rules and reigns over heaven and earth now. And he has filled us with that same spirit of power. Remember what it says in 2 Timothy 1.7. For God did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. And so we are now turned loose in this world to do what is right and just. And to not fear men, knowing that even if we give up, our jobs and our homes and our reputations and all sorts of things that God can raise them back up. That's seed that he puts into the ground and he brings it back up 30, 60, and 100 fold. I know a man not too many years ago who's an executive in a business and there was a major, major mistake made in the company and they were looking for a scapegoat. The higher ups back at corporate were looking for a scapegoat and they told this man, that he had to fire one of his employees who had nothing to do with it. They they did not make the mistake, but they needed a scapegoat. And they told him, fire her. And he said, I won't do it. And they put pressure on him. And it was made pretty clear that he was going to lose his job. And so he gave his resume and said, I will not do this. Well, the business saw his character. They saw his quality. The executives above, they actually called him. And they were impressed by what he did. They didn't fire her. They didn't fire him. And later when he was leaving that company, they begged him to stay. And God rewarded him with an even better job, a fantastic job. And there was a man, a Christian man, willing to do what was right, not fearing men. And think about that person who wasn't fired. Think about how her life would have been destroyed, her reputation, how hard it would have been for her to get another job. Think about all the damage that would have done. And the judgment of God that would have come on that company for doing things so unjust. That was all stopped by the courage and the control of his emotions by this Christian man. And that is something that's going to be all too common in the future, all across our country. We need to learn to control our emotions so that we do not participate in wickedness. And our hand is not lent to bring about trouble in other people's lives unjustly. So, what's the alternative? What's the alternative to giving in to the emotions? The alternative, biblically, is self-control. Self-control. 
If you have self-control, if it grows in you, if you are maturing and growing in your character so that self-control is more and more characteristic of your emotional life, there's incredible blessings. Here are just a few of the promises from God that you receive as you grow in self-control. The first is complete peace. Isaiah 26.3 says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. If I choose using self-control to direct my mind on the truth of who God is, on the promises that God has made for the future, if I walk by faith, and if I remember the past and the way that God has been faithful to me in the past and the way that he's been faithful to my wife and faithful to my brothers and sisters in Christ, and if you grew up in a Christian home, faithful to your mother and father and grandfathers, if you remember the faithfulness of God, if you focus your mind on that in the midst of trouble, you will have complete peace. And that kind of peace is a sense of calm security. It's a, an integrity where your emotions and your thoughts and your desires, they're all spinning in the same direction, a direction of faith. And God will protect you. Do you need peace? Do you struggle with anxiety and fear about all the circumstances of life? Would you say complete peace is your normal emotional state? If not, learning self-control in the area of your emotions will yield that kind of result if you do it in faith. Another promise is that you will receive security, power, and honor. And those three things are precious to people. For example, in Proverbs 25, 28, it says, Like a city that is broken into and without walls, so is a person who has no self-control over his spirit. If you don't control your emotions, you're like an ancient city with no walls, always under threat, always sleeping with one eye open, always sleeping with a knife under your pillow, because any time bands of marauders can come in, they can kill, they can enslave, they can steal. Cities without walls were terrifying places. They were not safe places in the ancient world. And that's what it's like to be a person without self-control over your emotions. And the inverse is true. When you control your emotions, you're like a city with walls. You have the ability to protect yourself from all sorts of trouble. Because look, when you think about what about this and what about that, the truth is it could be like, well, what if I get sick? Well, what if you don't? What if I lose my job? Well, what if you don't? Well, what if, uh, what if something happens to my kids? What if it doesn't? It's always, it's, <laughs> if you're going to play that game, you might as well think the best. But if you don't have control of your emotions, they can lead you down all sorts of rabbit trails that cause you all sorts of trouble. But if you have control of your emotions, it protects you. It guards your heart. And that's crucial. Another proverb is <clears throat> Proverbs 16.32, which says, Better a patient man than a warrior, a man who controls his temper than one who takes a city. If you had a choice between a warrior who could take a city in fits and bursts or a man who was patient, who would you choose? According to scripture, the better choice is a man who's patient, who has control, who's able to hold over a long period of time. That person has greater power and it's more dangerous and more effective. And so there's all sorts of good things that come into your life as you grow in self-control over your emotions. And the last one is freedom, freedom from sin, freedom from using, giving your body over to sin. Freedom from being under the control of bad emotional patterns that just they make you sick, they ruin your relationships, they can screw up your marriage, they can cost you your job. You get freedom from that. You have that power if you follow Jesus Christ because his spirit has set you free. And that's why Romans 6, uh, 11 through 12 says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. You don't have to let sin reign in your emotions so that you obey its evil desires. You don't have to give yourself over to your emotional desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness. You no longer have to cave to emotional habits. 
but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. Now, this is talking about your body, but this also includes your emotions and your thoughts. You can offer those to God so that he can use them as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. You have the grace of God in you now. You have the grace of God being poured out into you. The grace of God makes you able to do what you could not do on your own effort. The grace of God is fueling you the way jet fuel fuels a 747. God's grace is being poured into you, and with that kind of power, you have a choice. You can conquer and overcome and triumph over old sinful emotional patterns. This is the promise of self-control. So the question is, are you ready to get control? Are you ready to to conquer bad emotional habits in 2023? Because the stakes are high. Think about the things you could lose if your emotions, particularly sinful emotions or bad emotional habits, just go on and grow and get worse. It can cost you your marriage. It can cost you the relationship with your kids. It can cost you friends, jobs, your health. How many people are withering away physically because of stress and fear and rage and bitterness? That stuff will rot your bones. It'll cost you that. It can cost you wealth. Because in an emotional moment, you made a foolish venture. It costs you your reputation and your credibility. And that's like your ability to borrow money in the future. Your reputation, your name, is kind of like the ability to borrow money. Your future is tied to your credibility. And you can blow it all away by a bad decision that was made by following bad emotions. It costs you your life. So how do you triumph over your emotional triggers? That's what this series is about over the next several weeks. Today we learned how important this is, the stakes. And over the next four weeks, we'll look at four of the most common emotions that are triggered and how to control them. But here at the end, there are a couple things I'd like to say. These are, these are things you're going to have to do if you want to get control of your emotions. Things you're going to have to do no matter which one you're battling. Because we're going to be looking at some specific ones. But regardless of the emotions that you're battling, this is always going to be true if you're going to get dominion, if you're going to conquer, if you're going to get control over your emotions. So if you want to go from trigger to triumph, this is what it's going to take. Number one, ruling your emotions means winning fights. Now in the handout that you can find online, if you're watching this online, you can download the handout. There's a series of verses. There's some passages that talk about this. I'm not going to go through each of the verses, but these are where you can find this truth that God has taught us. And God has taught us that ruling your emotions means winning fights. You're going to have to fight. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be automatic. It's not going to be something you do passively. It's not something that comes along uh, without little effort. It's a fight. Ruling your emotions, getting control over bad emotional habits and patterns, in some cases that have been there for years, requires a fight. So are you ready to fight? If you're ready to fight and you're ready to win fights, that means you keep going until you've won, then you can truly change. You can transform. You can have victory. You must fight and take captive your thoughts. That's what the scripture says. You have to grab a hold of thoughts. You have to say no to some thoughts. You have to say yes to other thoughts. And you have to do that over and over and over again by praying and asking God to take them away, by praying and asking God to remove the temptation, by reciting what God has said is true, by remembering, by talking to people, by choosing to govern your mind. You think about athletes who are about to do some sort of major athletic event and they visualize the event before they do it. Why do they do that? They're capturing their thoughts so that they can control their emotions, so that they can play as well as they can play. 
And these people are doing this on their own strength and their own wisdom. But how do they overcome their flesh in every area of life? They can't. Apart from the Holy Spirit, they don't have the juice to do that. They may be able to do that in sports, but they're not going to do that in every area of life. But you, if you're a Christian, with the power of the Spirit of God in you, have the power, have the grace to control your thoughts. It can be done. God will help you. It absolutely can be a win. You also have to resolve to suffer. This is a suffering thing. This is this this is going to feel like suffering, like struggle, like pain, like withdrawal, like it's going to feel exhausting sometimes. Suffering is a part of the Christian life. And so you see, Peter says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Christ lived his life on this earth, and he suffered. Every day he suffered. Every day he struggled. He fought. It was a trial. It was a battle. He was tired. He was sick. He was hungry. He was frustrated. He had loss. He had physical problems. He had emotional problems, relational problems. To walk in faithful obedience to the Father his entire life was a battle. It was a struggle. And there was suffering. That's what it means to live as a Christian in this world. Because the world is against you. Your flesh is against you. Your enemies against you. Sometimes your family's against you. Everything is spinning this way. And you're trying to spin this way. And that's a battle. There's suffering. But to suffer is to be a Christian. So arm yourself with the same way of thinking. When you get up in the morning, remember, to control your emotions, it's going to be a battle. It's going to hurt. It's going to require suffering. And if you prepare yourself for that, and you understand that suffering is a virtue, that it's manly to suffer, It's to do what Jesus did. It's to say, I'm done with this world, and I'm done with this sinful pattern, and I am going to win this thing by the power of God. And yeah, I'm going to get scraped, and I'm going to get hit, I'm going to get bruised, I'm going to get knocked down, but I'm going to keep getting up until I have victory. That is what it takes to change something as fundamental as emotional patterns. Are you ready to do that? Because if you are, God will supply you the grace you need, and he'll never let you get in a fight that you can't win. He'll never let you face an enemy you can't beat. The scripture says no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. No emotion has seized you except what is common to man. When Saul was seized by fear of man, when Esau was seized by hunger, that wasn't beyond his power if they turned in trust of God. If in faith they chose to remember what God said, call out for God's help, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. That's 1 Corinthians 10, 13. That's a great verse to remember. Whatever you're facing, whatever suffering you're going through to control those emotions, you can win because God has promised it. Don't quit. And then, in addition to resolving yourself to suffer, you have to walk in the Spirit. Now, this is you can read this in Galatians 5.16, but when you walk in the Spirit, what you're doing is you're saying, in response to the emotional trigger, you're saying what God says. You're choosing to think the truth. Like the psalmist, when he was feeling downcast, he remembered. And when you're feeling despair, you choose to remember the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God, the promises of God, the things that God has done. You choose it. When you have this sudden anger that burns up in you towards your coworker who did wrong to you, then you choose to think what God says. God, you forgive me for my sins. I forgive him for, my, uh, for his sin against me. Father, there's all sorts of things that I don't know about him that are probably great. There's probably things I did wrong. Father, please take this anger away. I don't want it. I renounce it. I refuse it. I'm not going to do it. Father, in fact, I want you to bless him. I want you to bless his wife and his kids. I want you to make everybody love him. You start doing the things that God says to do. That's walking in the spirit. So that assumes you know the scripture. And that you know what God's will is. And you're speaking to God as you're battling these emotions. You say what God's word says. You pray for God's help. And then you choose to walk rightly 
You don't curse. You don't attack. You bless, right? You don't give in to the emotion, but rather you choose to do your duties rightly before God. And as you do that, God fills you with grace. He gives you victory and he changes you a little bit more. You just got some ground. A little bit more. You just got some ground. You just took some more ground. You just took southern Israel. Now you're in the middle of Israel. And then you got northern Israel. Pretty soon all of Israel has been conquered by the power of the Spirit of God. All of your soul is now in control of the Spirit of God. That takes time. But you can have victory. And all the problems and trouble that would have come, you've been protected from. Your kids have been protected from. Your marriage, your business, your church. It's all not going to happen because you've chosen in faith to get control of your emotions. And then there's the blessing that God pours in your life because of that. Finally, you have to grow in self-control. Self-control is the great virtue. Self-control is commanded. Your flesh will resist it, and the Spirit will supply it. In the scriptures connected to the handout, you'll find that God commands us as Christians to be self-controlled. It's what he teaches us to do. His grace commands us to be self-controlled. And so he doesn't say, when I fill you up with self-control, then you can be self-controlled. God says, exercise self-control. And you may think, well, I don't have it. Exercise it. Choose to control your emotions. And as you extend your hand, so to speak, God will fill you with power. That's the way this works. And expect your flesh to resist you. There's some verses, Ephesians 2 and Romans 8, talk about how the flesh, our body, our old way of thinking and feeling, our habit, so to speak, they're, they're spinning this way. And now you're trying to spin it this way. And there's tension. They're resisting. There's a fight. There's a struggle. And you can overpower them if you keep going in the spirit. God will give you the power to do it. And finally, the Spirit will supply it. As we saw, 2 Timothy 1.7 says, the Spirit supplies us with self-control. So as you are exercising self-control and battling your flesh, God is growing self-control in you. And it's a beautiful thing. This is how he transforms us. Now, this is a big picture view. I'm trying to give you a sense of how this works. It is more complicated, but it's understandable. It's like anything else. You have to learn to control your emotions by the power of the Spirit. And as you do this, God will bring great blessing into your life because all of it is an act of faith. The scriptures that you've read today, the things that you've heard God say through his word, that's what he's calling you to do in 2023. Get control over negative emotional patterns. And in faith, you respond by putting into practice the things that you've learned today. So here are three things I recommend. Number one, if you have not received Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, do that. Decide to follow Christ. Give your life to him. Confess your sins, ask for his forgiveness, and allow God to fill you with his spirit and begin to transform you. And then learn from Jesus in 2023. Become a part of Church in the Valley, and your brothers and sisters here will teach you how to walk with Christ. Number two, by faith get control over the following emotion in 2023. Write down one area, one emotion that tends to eat your lunch that tends to just go wild, that you need to get control over. And number three, resolve to fight, suffer, and win emotional control and ask someone for support. Maybe your spouse, maybe a brother or sister here at Church in the Valley, but tell somebody, I'm trying to get control over anger this year. I'm going to get control over depression this year. I'm going to get control over fear this year. I'm going to get control over this this year. I want to get control over this. And I want you to pray for me and encourage me and support me in it. These are ways that you can respond in faith to what God has said today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you teach us through it. And we pray that you apply it to our lives, that you give us the grace we need to get control of our emotions, that you bless us as we learn from you over the next several weeks. And we ask God that you would sanctify and transform us so that our emotions are honoring to you, blessing to us, and are protected from all sorts of consequences that would come from the other direction. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.